Book Three, Chapter Four, of the Lancashire Witches. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Andy Minter. The Lancashire Witches, A Romance of Pendle Forest, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Book Three, Houghton Tower. Chapter Four, The Gorge of Cliviger. The sun had already set as Nicholas Asherton reached Todmorden, then a very small village indeed, and alighting at a little inn near the church, found the ale so good and so many boon companions assembled to discuss it, that he would fain have tarried with them for an hour or so. But prudence for once, getting the better of inclination, and suggesting that he had fifteen or sixteen miles still to ride, over a rough and lonely road, part of which lay through the gorge of Cliviger, a long and solitary pass among the English Apennines, and moreover had a large sum of money about him, he tore himself away by a great effort. On quitting the smiling valley of Todmorden, and drawing near the dangerous defile before mentioned, some misgivings crossed him, and he almost reproached himself with foolhardiness in venturing within it at such an hour, and wholly unattended. Several recent cases of robbery, some of them attended by murder, had occurred within the pass, and these now occurred so forcibly to the squire, that he was half inclined to ride back to Todmorden, and engage two or three of the topers he had left at the inn to serve him as an escort as far as Burnley, but he dismissed the idea almost as soon as formed, and casting one look at the green and woody slopes around him, struck spurs into Robin, and dashed into the gorge. On the right towered a precipice, on the bare crest of which stood a heap of stones, piled like a column, the remains probably of a cairn. On this commanding point Nicholas perceived a female figure, dilated to gigantic proportions against the sky, who, as far as he could distinguish, seemed watching him, and making signs to him, apparently to go back. But he paid little regard to them, and soon afterwards lost sight of her. Precipitous and almost inaccessible rocks, of every variety of form and hue, some springing perpendicularly up like the spire of a church, others running along in broken ridges, or presenting the appearance of high embattled walls, here riven into deep gullies, there opening into wild savage glens, fit spots for robber ambuscade, now presenting a fair smooth surface, now jagged, shattered, shelving, roughened with brushwood, sometimes bleached and hoary, as in the case of the pinnacled crag called the White Kirk, sometimes green with moss, or grey with lichen, sometimes, though but rarely, shaded with timber, as in the approach to the cavern called the Earl's Bower, but generally bold and naked, and sombre in tint as the colours employed by the savage Rosa. Such were the distinguishing features of the gorge of Cliviger when Nicholas traversed it. Now the high embankments and mighty arches of a railway fill up its recesses and span its gullies. The roar of the engine is heard where the cry of the bird of prey alone resounded, and clouds of steam upsurp the places on its crags. Formerly the high cliffs abounded with hawks, the rocks echoed with their yells and screeches, and the spots adjoining their nests resembled, in the words of the historian of the district, Whittaker, little charnel-houses for the bones of game. Formerly also, on some inaccessible point, built the rock-eagle, and reared its brood from year to year. The gaunt wolf had once ravaged the glens, and the sly fox and fierce catamountain still harboured within them. 
nor were those the only objects of dread. The superstitious declared the gorge was haunted by a frightful hirsute demon, eclept Hobhurst. The general savage character of the ravine was relieved by some spots of exquisite beauty, where the traveller might have lingered with delight, if apprehension of assault from robber or visit from Hobhurst had not urged him on. Numberless waterfalls, gushing from fissures in the hills, coursed down their seamy sides, looking like threads of silver as they sprang from point to point. One of the most beautiful of these cascades, issuing from a gully in the rocks near the cavern called the Earl's Bower, fell in rainy seasons in one unbroken sheet of a hundred and fifty feet. Through the midst of the gorge ran a swift and brawling stream, known by the appellation of the Calder, but it must not be confounded with the river flowing past Whaley Abbey. The course of this impetuous current was not always restrained within its rocky channel, and when swollen by heavy rains it would frequently invade the narrow causeway running beside it, and spreading over the whole width of the gorge render the road almost impassable. Through this rocky and sombre defile, and by the side of the brawling calder which dashed swiftly past him, Nicholas took his way. The hawks were yelling overhead, the rooks were cawing on the topmost branches of some tall timber on which they built, a raven was croaking lustily in the wood, and a pair of eagles were soaring in the still glowing sky. By and by the glen contracted, and a wall of steep rocks on either side hemmed the shuddering traveller in. Instinctively he struck spurs into his horse and accelerated his pace. The narrow glen expands, the precipices fall further back, and the traveller breathes more freely. Still he does not relax his speed, for his imagination has been at work in the gloom, peopling his path with lurking robbers or grinning boggarts. He begins to fear he shall lose his gold, and execrates his folly for incurring such heedless risk. But it is too late now to turn back. It grows rapidly dusk, and objects become less and less distinct, assuming fantastical and fearful forms. A blasted tree, clinging to a rock and thrusting a bare branch across the road, looks to the squire like a bandit, and a white owl, bursting from a brush, scares him as if it had been Hobhurst himself. However, in spite of these and other alarms, for which he is indebted to excited fancy, he hurries on, and is proceeding at a thundering pace, when all at once his horse comes to a stop, arrested by a tall female figure, resembling that seen near the mountain cairn at the entrance of the gorge. Nicholas's blood ran cold, for though in this case he could not apprehend plunder, he was fearful of personal injury, for he believed the woman to be a witch. Mustering up courage, however, he forced Robin to proceed. If his progress was meant to be barred, a better spot for the purpose could not have been selected, a narrow road, scarcely two feet in width, ran round the ledge of a tremendous crag, jutting so far into the glen that it almost met the steep barrier of rocks opposite it. Between these precipitous crags dashed the river in a foaming cascade, nearly twelve feet in height, and the steep, narrow causeway winding beside it, as above described, was rendered excessively slippery and dangerous from the constant cloud of spray arising from the fall. At the highest and narrowest point of the ledge, and occupying nearly the whole of its space, with an overhanging rock on one side of her and a roaring torrent on the other, stood the tall woman, determined apparently from her attitude and deportment to oppose the squire's further progress. 
As Nicholas advanced, he became convinced that it was the same person he had seen near the cairn. But when her features grew distinguishable, he found to his surprise that it was Nance Redfern. "'Hello, Nance!' he cried. "'What are you doing here, lass, eh?' "'Come to warn you, squire,' she replied. "'You once did me a service, and I've not forgotten it. That's why I watched you from the cairn cliffs and motioned you to go back.' "'that you didn't understand my signs, or wouldn't heed them, "'so I've become here to stay you. "'You're in danger, I tell you.' "'In danger of what, my good woman?' demanded the squire uneasily. "'I'm being robbed and plundered of your gold,' replied Nance. "'There are five men waiting to set upon you a mile further on at the boulder stones.' "'Indeed!' exclaimed Nicholas. They'll get little for their pains. I've no money about me. Don't think to deceive me, squire, rejoined Nance. I know you have borrowed three hundred pounds of gold from young Richard Asherton, and as surely as you have it under your jerkin, so surely will you lose it, if you don't turn back, or go on without me keeping your company. I've no objection on earth to your company, Nance, replied the squire. Quite the contrary. How the devil should these rascals expect me? And, above all, how should they conjecture I should come so well provided? For sooth to say, such is not ordinary the case with me. Yeah, I know it right well, squire, replied Nance with a laugh. But I have received certain information of your movements. There's only one person who could give them such information, cried Nicholas. But I cannot, will not suspect him. "'If you're thinking of Lawrence Fogg, and they're far wider marks, squire,' replied Nance. "'What, Fogg? League with robbers? Impossible!' exclaimed Nicholas. "'Nay, it's nay so impossible as all that,' returned Nance. "'You'll stay when I tell you he's robbed you many a time without you being aware of it. You're unwise enough to send him round to your friends to borrow money for you.' "'True, so I was, but luckily no one would lend me any,' said Nicholas. "'There you're wrong, squire, for unluckily they all did,' replied Nance, with a scarcely suppressed laugh. "'Roger Noel gave him a hundred. Thomas Whittaker a home another. Richard Parker a brose home another. A more in the same way.' "'And the rascal pocketed it all, and never brought me back one farthing.' cried Nicholas, in a transport of rage. Oh, I'll have him hanged. Sure, the hanging's too good for him. To deceive me, his friend, his benefactor, his patron, in such a manner, to dwell in my house, eat at my table, drink my wine, wear my habiliments, ride my horses, hunt with my hounds, has the dog no conscience? Very little I'm appeared, replied Nance. And the worst of it is, continued the squire, new lights breaking upon him i shall be liable for all the sums he's received he was my confidential agent and the lenders'll come upon me he must be six or seven hundred pounds he's obtained in this nefarious way sounds i shall go mad you were to blame for trusting him squire rejoined nance you ought to have made proper inquiries about him at first and then you'd have found out what sort of chap he were but now i tell you "'Lawrence Fogg is chief of a band of robbers, "'and all the black and villainous deeds done late in this place "'have been perpetrated by his men. 
"'The poor gentleman was murdered by him in this very spot week afore last, "'and his body cast in the river. "'Fog, of course, had no haunting foul deed, "'but he would no have interfered to prevent it if he had been here, "'for he never scrupled shedding blood. "'And if he had been content with robbing you, squire, "'I would not have betrayed him. "'But when he proposed to cut your throttle, "'cause, as he said, dead men tell no tales, "'I could hold out no longer and resolve to give you warning. "'What a monstrous and unheard-of villain!' cried the squire. "'But is he one of the ambuscade?' Nance replied in the affirmative. "'Then, by heaven, I will confront him. I'll hew him down.' pursued Nicholas, gripping the hilt of his sword. "'Nay, yous, I tell you, you'll be overpowered and killed,' said Nance. "'Take me wi' you, and I'll carry you safely through them all. But go alone, and you'll never see Darnham again. And now it's right I should tell you Lawrence Fogg really is.' <laughs> "'What new wonders in store for me?' cried Nicholas. "'Who is he?' Ah, maybe you heard that Mother Demdike had a son and a daughter, replied Nance, the daughter being, of course, Elizabeth Device, and the son Christopher Demdike, being supposed to be dead. However, this is not the case, for Lawrence Fogg is he. Ah, guessed as much when you began, said Nicholas. He has a cursedly bad look about the eyes. A damned Demdike physiognomy. What an infernal villain the fellow must be, without a jot of natural feeling. Why, as this very day assisted at his nephew's capture, and caused his own sister to be arrested. Oh, I've been properly duped. To lodge a son of that infernal hag in my house, feed him, clothe him, make him my friend, take him the viper to my bosom. I've been rightly served, but he shall hang, he shall hang. "'That's some consolation, no slight. "'But how do you know all this, Nance?' "'Dunna ax me,' she replied. "'Wherever I have been to Christopher Demdark, "'I bear him no love now, for I adore you. "'He's a black-hearted, murdering villain. "'But let me get up behind you, "'and I'll bring you through scatheless, "'and to-morrow you may arrest the whole band at Milking Tower.' "'Milking Tower?' exclaimed the squire, in fresh surprise. "'What, have these robbers taken up their quarter there?' "'That accounts for all the strange sights said to have been seen there of late, which I treated as mere fables. But, ah, the terrible thought crosses me. What have I done? Mistress Nutter will be there to-night, and I've sent her. Death and destruction shall fall into their hands. I must go there at once. I cannot take any assistance with me. That would betray the poor lady.' "'If you don't trust me, I'll help you through the difficulty,' replied Nance. Oh, "'Get up, then, quickly, lass, since it must be so,' rejoined Nicholas. With this he moved forward, and, giving her his hand, she was instantly seated behind him upon Robin, who seemed in no way incommoded by his double burden, but dashed down the further side of the causeway in answer to a sharp application of the spur. Passing her arms round the squire's waist, Nance maintained her seat well, and in this way they rattled along, heedless of the increasing difficulties of the road, or the fast-gathering gloom. The mile was quickly passed, and Nance whispered in the squire's ear that they were approaching the boulder stones. Presently they came to a narrow glen, half filled with huge rocky fragments, detached from the toppling precipices on either side, and forming an admirable place of ambuscade. 
One rock, larger than the rest, completely commanded the pass, and as the squire advanced, a thundering voice from it called him to stay, and the injunction being disregarded, the barrel of a gun was protruded from the bushes, covering its brow, and a shot fired at him. Though well aimed, the ball struck the ground beneath his horse's feet, and Nicholas continued his way unmoved, while the faulty marksman jumped down the crag. At the same time, four other men started from their places of concealment behind the stones, and levelling their calibers at the fugitives, fired. The sharp discharges echoed along the gorge, and the shots rattled against the rocks, but none of them took effect, and Nicholas might have gone on without further hindrance, but despite Nancy's remonstrances, who urged him to go on, he pulled up to await the coming of the person who had first challenged him. Scarcely an instant elapsed before he was beside the squire, and presented a petronel at his head. Notwithstanding the gloom, Nicholas recognised him. "'Ah, it's thou, accursed traitor!' cried Nicholas. "'I could scarcely believe in thy villainy, but now I'm convinced.' "'The jade you have got behind you has told you who I am, I see,' replied Fogg. "'I'll set with her and none, but this will save further explanation from you.' and he discharged the petronel full at the squire, but the ball rebounded as if his doublet had been quilted. It was, in fact, lined with gold. On seeing the squire unhurt, the robber captain uttered an exclamation of rage and astonishment. "'You are mistaken, you see, perfidious villain!' cried Nicholas. "'You have yet to render an account of all the wrongs you have done me, but meantime you shall not pass unpunished.' As he spoke, he snatched the petronel from Fogg, and with the butt-end dealt him a tremendous blow on the head, felling to the ground. By this time the other robbers had descended from the rocks, and seeing the fall of their leader, rushed forward to avenge him. But Nicholas did not tarry for any further encounter, but fully satisfied with what he had done, struck spurs into Robin and galloped off. For a few minutes he could hear the shouts of the men, but they soon afterwards died away. Little more than half the ravine had been traversed when the encounter above described took place, but though the road was still difficult and dangerous, and rendered doubly so by the obscurity, no further hindrance occurred till just as Nicholas was quitting the gloomy intricacies of the gorge and approaching the more open country beyond it. At this point Robin fell, throwing both him and Nance, and when the animal rose again he was found to be so much injured that it was impossible to mount him. There was no recourse but to proceed to Burnley, which was still three or four miles distant on foot. In this dilemma Nance volunteered to provide the squire with another steed, but he resolutely refused the offer. "'No, no, none of your broomsticks for me,' he cried. "'No devil's horses. I don't know where they may carry me. My own legs must serve me now. I'll just take poor Robin out of the road, and then trudge off to Burnley as fast as I can.' With this he led the horse to a small green mead skirting the stream, and taking off his saddle and bridle, and depositing them carefully under a tree, he patted the animal on the neck, promising to return for him on the morrow, and then set off at a brisk pace, with Nance walking beside him. They had not gone far, however, when the clattering of hoofs was heard behind them, and it was evident that several horsemen were rapidly approaching. Nance stopped, listened for a moment, and then, declaring that it was Demdike and his band in pursuit, seized the squire's arm, and drew him out of the road and under the shelter of some bushes of hazel. 
The robber captain could only have been stunned, it appeared, and as soon as he had recovered from the effects of the blow, had mounted his horse, which was concealed with those of his men, behind the rocks, and started after the fugitives. Such was the construction put upon the matter by Nance, and the event proved it correct. A loud shout from the horseman, and a sudden halt, proclaimed that poor Robin had been discovered, and this circumstance seemed to give great satisfaction to Demdike, who loudly declared that they were now sure of overtaking the runaways. "'They cannot be far off,' he cried, "'but they will likely attempt to hide themselves, so look well about you.' So saying, he rode on, and it was evident from the noise that the men implicitly obeyed his injunctions. Nothing, however, was found, and ere many minutes Demdike came up, and glancing at the hazels behind which the fugitives were hidden, he discharged a petronel into the largest tree. But as no movement followed the report, he said, oh, "'I thought I saw something move here, but I suppose I was mistaken. No doubt they have gone on further than we expected, or have retired into some of the cloughs, in which case it will be useless to search for them. However, we will make sure of them in this way. Two of you shall form an ambuscade near home, and two farther on within half a mile of Burnley, and shall remain on watch till dawn, so that you will be sure to capture them. And when taken, make away with them, without hesitation. Unless my skull had been of the strongest, that butcherly squire would have cracked it, and he shall have no grace from me. And as to that treacherous witch, Nance Redfern, she deserves death at our hands, and she shall have her deserts. I've long suspected her, and indeed was a fool to trust one of the vile Chattox brood, who are all my natural enemies. And no matter, I shall have my revenge. The men, having promised compliance with their captain's command, he went on. As to myself, he said, I shall go forthwith, and as fast as my horse can carry me to Malkin Tower, and I will tell you why. It's not that I dislike the game we are upon, but I have better to play just now. Tom Shaw, the cockmaster at Downham, who is in my pay, rode over to Wiley this afternoon to bring me word that a certain lady who has long been concealed in the manor house will be taken to Malkin Tower to-night. The intelligence is certain, for he had obtained it from old Crouch, the huntsman, who is to escort her. Mistress Nutter, for you all know who I mean, will fall naturally into our hands, and we can wring any sums of money we like out of her. For though she has abandoned her property to her daughter, Ellison, she can no doubt have as much as she wants, and I will take care she asks for plenty, or I will try the effect of some of these instruments of torture, which I was lucky enough to find in the dungeons of Malkin Tower, and which were used for a like purpose by my predecessor Blackburn the freebooter. Are you content, my lads?' "'Aye, aye, Captain Demdike,' they replied. Upon this the whole party set forward, and were speedily out of hearing. As soon as they thought it prudent to come forth, the squire and Nance emerged from their place of shelter. Ah, "'What is to be done?' exclaimed the former, who was almost in a state of distraction. "'The villainous announces of attention of going to Malkin Tower, and Mistress Nutter will assuredly fall into his hands. Oh, that I could stop him, or get there before him!' "'You shall, if you like to ride with me!' said Nance. "'But how, in what way?' asked Nicholas. "'Leave that to me,' replied Nance, breaking off a long branch of hazel. "'Take hold of this,' she cried, 
The squire obeyed, and was instantly carried off his legs, and whisked through the air at a prodigious rate. He felt giddy and confused, but did not dare to leave go, lest he should be dashed to pieces, while Nancy's wild laughter rang in his ears. Over the bleached and perpendicular crag, startling the eagle from his eyrie, over the yawning gully with the torrent roaring beneath him, over the sharp ridges of the hill, over Townley Park, over Burnley Steeple, over the wide valley beyond he went, until at last, bewildered, out of breath, unlike one in a dream, he alighted on a brown, bare, heathy expanse, and within a hundred yards of a tall circular stone structure, which he knew to be Malkin Tower. End of chapter 4